Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. I started this podcast to talk about employment law from a practical standpoint. I like to touch on current events and developments in the law, but I also like to dig a little deeper into certain topics that are pretty much always relevant to employment law. This episode is going to be the first in a series on termination of employment. Why do a series on termination? Well, the single greatest generator of employment litigation is poorly handled terminations. It's been an issue that has been a constant throughout my career, and I found myself saying again and again, if only that had been handled better, we might not have a lawsuit, or the lawsuit we have would be much easier to defend. Don't get me wrong, it's impossible to avoid all employment litigation no matter how well you handle terminations or other issues. I've often said that employment litigation is somewhat like cancer for businesses. Some businesses do everything right and they still get sued. They're the person who never smoked a cigarette but ends up getting lung cancer. Other businesses are two-pack-a-day smokers and never get into trouble. So what's the point? Well, it's safe to say that doing things the right way over the long haul lowers your odds of getting sued and, perhaps more importantly, makes the case much easier to defend if you do get sued. One initial issue. Businesses often downplay the importance of doing terminations the right way because they think they have the backstop of at-will employment to keep them safe. Now, I discussed the status of at-will employment in Episode 3, At-Will Employment, Myth or Reality. If you haven't checked it out, it is a good introduction to this episode. Now, my conclusion in that episode is that while at-will employment remains in place in most jurisdictions, and employers do have do not have to show cause to terminate, it just doesn't provide that much protection anymore. The reason is that with all of the employment laws currently in place, so many things are protected from discrimination and retaliation that employers do need to make a case for termination in most situations. Not because they have to show cause, but because they have to be prepared to defend themselves against potential lawsuits from ex-employees. So one reason to do terminations the right way is the lack of protection offered by the at-will employment doctrine. Another is the legal system itself. I often hear things from employers like, don't worry about this termination, this guy cannot afford a lawyer. This reveals a misconception about the legal system. In most cases, plaintiff's attorneys in the employment law field take cases on a contingency basis. This means that they do not charge by the hour for their time. Instead, they take a percentage of whatever they recover for the employee. Usually, the employee has to pay nothing more than certain fees and expenses like filing fees and transcription fees. This means that there is a pretty low bar to get into the legal system for employees who want to do that. Obviously, plaintiff's attorneys don't want to waste their time with worthless cases, but here's the problem. There's an old saying that every case has a settlement value. As anyone who's been involved in employment litigation on the company side can tell you, defending cases is time-consuming and expensive and defense attorneys do charge by the hour in most cases. Taken together, this means that every case, no matter how weak, presents a possibly significant expense to the employer. And the plaintiff's attorneys know that. So, even relatively weak cases have a settlement value that many businesses are willing to pay to avoid the larger expense of defending a lawsuit. Whether your business is one that wants to pay and move on, or one that intends to defend claims on principle, doing a good job with the termination is key to helping you defend or minimizing the case's settlement value. 
As I mentioned, the problem of poorly executed terminations has been an ongoing issue throughout my entire career. As a result, I think I've seen just about every mistake that employers make with terminations. I want to spend the rest of this episode walking through some of the most common mistakes and how to avoid them. So let's jump right in. The first termination mistake I want to talk about, ironically enough, is bad hiring. This can take a lot of forms, but in general, a bad hire is a bad employee, and a bad employee will eventually need to be terminated. I remember years ago, I had a client with a large sales force, and they used a pre-hiring personality test, like the old Myers-Briggs test. Now, these tests present a lot of risks for employers, and I'm not suggesting they be used, but they used to be pretty popular. Every time I would get a new employment law case from this client, I would check the personnel file, and there would be the assessment form from the company that administered the test. Very often, the conclusion of the assessment would be that the employee in question was not suited for the job they were ultimately hired to perform. And it wasn't just an isolated incident here and there. It was pretty common to see assessments that basically said, don't hire this person. I often asked hiring managers why they hired employees when the tests they paid good money to have administered said that the employee would not be successful. The answer was almost always the same. They needed someone to fill the spot, couldn't find someone good, and settled for someone who wanted the job. The point is, failing to follow your own hiring process, which has been presumably designed to bring in good employees, is not a good idea. And it's not just the testing scenario I described. I've seen employers skip the hiring process entirely to bring in an employee when they were desperate. I've also seen employers ignore obvious red flags that come out in the hiring process or interviews, like large gaps in employment history, all because they're more interested in hiring someone than hiring someone who is right for the job. Now, I get it. Everyone is busy, and being short-staffed can be a real problem. But when it comes to avoiding employment law issues, and particularly issues related to termination, start with doing a good job hiring employees. The next termination mistake I want to talk about is a two-parter. Moving too fast and moving too slow with termination. Or maybe I should just say timing. In the too fast category, Terminating an employee on the spot is almost always a mistake. You need documentation, investigation, and maybe just time to cool off before making such a significant decision. Even apart from the termination on the spot scenario, I often get calls from clients wanting to terminate an employee, and it just seems premature. For example, maybe an employer wants to terminate after the employee was late once a week for two weeks or something similar. It seems disproportionate. And if it seems that way to me, you can bet it might look bad to a jury. Often there's something else going on, maybe a personality clash, or a manager is just angry about being inconvenienced and overreacting. Whatever the reason, flying off the handle and terminating an employee is always a mistake. The decision and the reasoning behind it needs to be considered. I'm not saying employers should drag things out, but hasty terminations, and worst of all, immediate terminations on the spot, almost always lead to bad results. Another related mistake is moving too slow with a termination. This often takes the form of giving too many chances to an employee, and it tends to undercut the significance of whatever infraction might ultimately lead to the termination. If our employee from the other example goes on to be late once a week for 10 weeks and is written up a couple of times along the way, it is likely time to part ways. But if the employee is late most every week for a year, it looks like it's just something the employer is willing to tolerate. Another related scenario is the problem employee. 
Everyone who manages people has had an employee who, for whatever reason, is not a good fit, but there hasn't really been a good reason to terminate. Maybe things are headed in that direction, but not there yet. If that employee does something worthy of being terminated, it's a mistake to let the opportunity pass. I encountered this in a case I defended years ago. The employer had a sales employee who was habitually late for work. They also had a complicated attendance policy where employees got points for various infractions, and if they accumulated enough points, they could be terminated. Now, the employee in question in my case was good at manipulating the points system, and it was always close to but not over the amount of points to be terminated. When she finally did cross the line and was terminated, she brought a lawsuit over whether some of the absences for which she received points were covered by the FMLA. It was a complicated case that we ultimately won, but here's why I bring it up in this context. In the course of defending the case, I learned that shortly before she was terminated, the employee had rear-ended a police car in a company car when she was admittedly not paying attention to the road. Obviously, this would have been an opportune time to part ways with the problem employee, but for whatever reason, the employer failed to take advantage of the situation and had to defend a far more complex lawsuit. That was a mistake. The next mistake I want to touch on is poor documentation. One of my employment law rules is that if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Having a solid termination that withstands the scrutiny of litigation is a tall order, and accurate and complete documentation is essential. I've encountered many cases over the years where the employer assures me that they have complete documentation supporting a decision, and when we go to look, it is anything but complete. Worse yet, I've encountered situations where there is no meaningful documentation. One case comes to mind where there was litigation over a restructuring and reduction in force where a pregnant employee was let go. There was a formula employed that used several types of data from various sales territories to determine which were overstaffed. There were a lot of documents that were relied upon by the managers in making the decisions, but when we actually tried to work through the documents and the data, we could never recreate the results that the managers came up with to decide who would be terminated. That was a big mistake. In any termination, the documentation should be complete and support the decision. Another mistake I want to talk about, and this one covers a lot of ground, is poor execution. This comes up often, and by poor execution, I mean the process of handling the termination. No one enjoys the process, and if you have someone who does, they should not be handling terminations. The bottom line is that terminations should always be handled professionally and as compassionately as possible, but that doesn't mean minimizing the conduct that caused the termination. Do not apologize and do not argue about the decision in a termination meeting. The point of a termination meeting is to convey the decision in related details, not to argue over or make the decision. Along those same lines, you need to be clear and honest about the reason for termination. Several years ago, there was an idea going around that you did not have to give a reason for termination and not doing so would somehow protect employers. This is false, but I still run across it sometimes. Giving no reason or a suspect reason is just going to send an employee to an attorney, and it may get the attorney's attention because it's suspicious. The best approach is an honest, plain statement of the reason for the decision. You should also minimize the potential embarrassment of the employee. Have the meeting at a time when the office is not busy, and don't perp walk the employee into the meeting or out of the building. You should always have another management witness in the meeting with you, but don't make it someone who will upset the employee. 
If the employee wants to leave before you've finished with everything you have to say, let them go. I've actually had a number of false imprisonment claims over the years because the employee was not allowed to leave when they asked. These claims don't usually go anywhere, but why risk it? If the employee doesn't care to hear information that can be sent later in most cases, just let them go. Also, be prepared for housekeeping issues. Get back any company property, computers, keys, ID cards, and so forth, and be prepared to handle issues like company vehicles. And always cut off any access the employee had to company computer systems. If the employee was a signer on accounts or had vendor relationships, that needs to be addressed. Also, be prepared to help the employee gather their personal belongings. Have a box ready for them. But never let an employee gather their things unsupervised, and never let an employee who's been terminated back onto their work computer. I apologize to anyone rolling their eyes because this is so basic, but I've encountered these issues in litigation. Every single thing I just mentioned has been an issue in a case I've handled. Finally, this is a tough issue, but it needs to be considered. If you have any concerns about workplace violence before a termination, trust your gut and take appropriate steps to protect yourself and other employees. This can take a lot of different forms depending on the severity of the threat. I've seen everything from concerns over an employee who has a temper but has never made a threat to an employee whose termination is based on threats of violence to the workplace. Responses can range from a simple call to local police requesting that they have someone nearby all the way up to hiring private security. It just depends on the threat. We've been discussing termination mistakes to avoid. In the next episode in this series, Termination Done Right, I'll discuss affirmative steps businesses should take to avoid issues with terminations. I hope you'll join me for that. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.